Well, several of you know Luke. Luke's a dear brother and friend in the Lord. He's a associate pastor down in uh, El Paso Community Bible Fellowship and sneaking around behind me here. Um, I'm I'm really grateful. He's gonna he's gonna uh, take us through the flood today in Genesis seven and eight. So uh, I'm done. I don't have anything else to say. I love you. I love you too, brother. Um, it's good to be with you all this morning. Um, hopefully, uh, my fat head does not cause problems this time around with my mic. But uh, I, uh, it's it's always so good to be here with all of you. Um, but uh, I wanted to open up with just kind of sharing a little bit what uh, what is my desire and why I enjoy being able to be here with you to open God's word on what God has um, placed on my heart. Um, And that is that uh, according to, I'm going to use Paul's example from Romans 1.12. And that is um, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Uh, I am not here, standing up here as someone that... uh, lives a perfect life or knows everything and is some sort of uh, theologian uh, expert that's going to be able to just uh, wow you with things out of Scripture, but stand up here as a brother in Christ that wants to encourage you what God has laid on my heart, and I love being encouraged by all of you and what God is doing in your heart. So please, um, when I am here, um, feel free to, to let me know what's going on here uh, Redeemer, how it's encouraged your heart, things that you have going on, so I know how I can uh, be encouraged by your faith journey, uh, because you guys are truly a blessing to us at Community Bible Fellowship in El Paso. It is really hard to believe that uh, that, that I'm here, that there's, there's a church here in uh, Manunk that started so many uh, years ago um, with prayer and, and hope, um, and then to see your faces and to see how God is growing you, it's just... It's such an encouragement. And just to report back to you all, we uh, lost our lead pastor, Wes Ooms. He had been there for 31 years. He was the planting pastor, and he retired in February. Um, And we now have uh, hired and have a lead pastor in place. And Glenn Matlock is his name. His wife is Annette. And uh, they are from the state of Washington. Uh, Not the city of Washington, but the state of Washington. So it's been quite an adjustment for them. His wife keeps commenting on how flat everything is around here. So I would appreciate your guys' prayer for them as they get adjusted, um, but also want to send you that uh, praise that God has been faithful to us and uh, that we have a a pastor in place and he's on his third week. Um, If you will turn with me in Genesis chapter 7 and uh, verse 11. Eric, is this mine? Okay, thanks. And uh, we're going to look at the flood. And if you would follow along with me, please. It's on page five if you have the uh, community Bibles here. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the sources of the vast water's depths burst open. The floodgates of the skies were opened. And the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that same day, Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, entered the ark along with Noah's wife and his three sons' wives. They entered it with a wild, 
with wildlife according to their kinds, all livestock according to their kinds, all the creatures that crawl on the earth according to their kinds, every flying creature, all the birds, every winged creature according to their kinds. Two of every creature that has breath of life in it came to Noah and entered the ark. Those that entered, male and female, of every creature entered just as God has commanded him. Then the Lord shut him in. The flood continued for 40 days on the earth. The water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. The water surged and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. Then the water surged even higher on the earth, and all the high mountains under the whole sky were covered. The mountains were covered as the water surged among them more than 20 feet. Every creature perished. Those that crawl on the earth, birds, livestock, wildlife, and those that swarm on the earth, as well as all mankind. So in case we didn't get it yet that all perished, uh, Moses continues in his writing of this and says that everything with the breath of the spirit of life in its nostrils, everything on dry land died. He wiped out every living thing that was on the face of the earth from mankind to livestock to creatures that crawl, to the birds of the sky, and that they were wiped off the earth. Only Noah was left, and those that were with him in the ark. And the water surged on the earth 150 days. So in case you didn't miss it, everything's dead except Noah, his family, and the creatures on the ark. So uh, he wants to make that very clear as we see. As we continue on in chapter 8 of verse, in verse 1, God remembered Noah as well as all the wildlife and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water began to subside. The source of the watery depths and the floodgates of the skies were closed, and the rain from the sky stopped. The water steadily receded, receded from the earth, and by the end of 150 days, the water had decreased significantly. The ark came to rest in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. The water continued to recede until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were visible. After 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and he sent out a raven. It went back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see whether the water on the earth's surface had gone down. But the dove found no resting place for its foot. It returned to him in the ark because the water covered the surface of the whole earth. He reached out and brought it into the ark to himself. So Noah waited seven more days and sent out the dove from the ark again. When the dove came to him at evening, there was a plucked olive leaf in its beak. So Noah knew that the water on the earth's surface had gone down. After he waited another seven days, he sent out the dove but it did not return to him again. In the 601st year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the water that had covered the earth was dried up. Then Noah removed the ark's cover and saw the surface of the ground was drying. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was dry. Then God spoke to Noah, Come out of the ark, you your wife, your sons, and your sons' wives with you. 
Bring out all the living creatures that are with you, birds, livestock, those that crawl on the earth, and they will spread over the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah, along with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives came out. All the animals, all the creatures that crawl, and all the free flying creatures, everything that moves on the earth, came out of the ark by their families. Would you pray with me? God, I want to thank you for this time this morning that we can open your word and to be able to see what it is that you have for us in it. Pray, God, that you would help us to be able to understand what it is that you want us to take away and apply to our lives, to know you better, to experience the goodness of God, and to be able to tell others about the hope that lies within us. And Lord, we learn that even, yes, here in the Old Testament. It's your word. Uh, it is timeless, it is alive, and it is powerful. So please, God, let your words speak to our hearts in Christ's name. Amen. So as we look at um, this passage, I will be very honest, and I'm going to ask Eric to help me with this. Um, it would be very easy for me to stand up here this morning and not speak to you about what God has laid on my heart, and instead speak to you about the fascinating things that I find in this passage that I could nerd out for eternity on that uh, just have so many symbolisms, uh, so many parallels between creation, uh, Genesis 1 and 2, about how the water came up for 150 days, the water went down for 150 days, or 40 days and 40 nights that the rains came down, the waters came up. You know, Jesus was in the wilderness, you know, 40 days and 40 nights. The children of Israel, I, but I'm not going to do that, okay? I'm, I'm not going to go there. We're, we're not going to spend time talking about that today. But I would encourage you to look through God's Word and open your mind to see and ask God to help you see how consistent and organized and sovereign our God is. And it's all throughout the Bible. And it is amazing and fascinating. And the fountains of it are intoxicating and they never cease to amaze how much more is there that we didn't even realize when we're there. So that is my disclaimer. I'm going to try really hard not to go there. And instead, I want us to take a little bit of a different look at the flood as you guys have been talking and building up about, you've, you've had a great foundation. You've gone through the Torah. So you understand that the Torah, these books that Moses wrote, is a narrative. It's the story of God and his people and what God's heart is for the people. And to see the goodness of God and to see the power of God, the majesty of God, the holiness of God. All for his people to understand their relationship and covenant with him. And so to do that, you guys have then gone back and started again in Genesis to talk about um, creation and to talk about the fall and talk about how depravity began to run rampant on uh, mankind and how people bragged about how many people that they had killed. And to get to a place where in chapter six, that there was pretty much only Noah that walked with God. And God decided to show favor on Noah and to spare Noah and to start basically a refresh, a redo, 
in some senses of creation by keeping Noah and his family safe and using them to once again start the spread of um, human beings on this earth, God's creatures, creation, um, to walk with him um, because there was so much sin and the Bible tells us that there was so much sin that everyone's hearts were wicked and they did what was right in their own eyes. And except there was Noah, who was a man by faith that walked with God. So the big idea that what I want us to walk away with is I want us to think about Noah and I want us to think about his journey, okay? I want us to see the lesson that we learn about Noah in this epic journey that he and his family were on is that it teaches us this big idea. And this is what I've taken away from this and and what I hope to encourage you with that God's laid on my heart. And the big idea is this. The life of faith is one that embraces the opportunity to participate with God in the work of God and with God. And in doing so, one experiences God's direction, shelter, provision, and goodness. So as we begin to unpack this, I just want to say it one more time. The big idea that I hope we walk away with today as we think about this flood and the disaster that was happening as everything was being annihilated um, and was being destroyed around what was happening inside the ark where there was safety in Noah's journey to get his family there to be used by God is that the life, life of faith is one that embraces the opportunity to participate with God in the work of God. And in doing so, one experiences God's direction, his shelter, provision, and goodness. When we think about the first part of that, the life of faith, and so the life of faith, as we talk about Noah, as we saw in chapter 6 and verse 8 and 9, was that Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. You see, Noah was actively engaging with God as he went through his life. Those words of praise about Noah's life don't make him superhuman, though, as you will soon find out if you don't already know in the coming weeks, all right? But it meant that he intentionally walked with God. He was a righteous man, which means set aside. So compared to his contemporaries who did all kinds of wickedness and their hearts were so depraved that God was like, that's it, that's enough. I'm starting over. There was this guy by himself who was set aside walking with God. And so that's the life of faith. And that's what has put Noah on this boat. You see, what was happening around Noah didn't affect his walk with God. It didn't cause him to say, well, maybe I'm missing out. Maybe there's something that I don't understand. But yet he was a devoted a righteous man of God that walked with God. And so then God tells Noah uh, what's going to happen. He tells Noah about the flood and what he is planning to do. He tells Noah, you're going to build this ark, all right? And you're going to build this ark, and then you're going to be 
the world's first zookeeper, okay? You're going to have all these domestic animals and all these wild animals and the creepy crawly things on this earth. They're all just going to come to you, all right? And you're going to put them in this ark and you're going to be a zookeeper, all right? And you're going to take vegetation. You're going to take all these things that you need to survive while I annihilate the earth. And you're going to put that all in the boat. And you're going to take your family, okay? And you're going to, so you're going to take your sons and your son's wives, your wife, your family. And you're going to go into this gigantic boat, okay? That's basically for, for sake of visualization. You're in a place where there's no need for a boat at all, okay? You're like in this desolate kind of place, and it's never rained before this, okay? So you, so you don't even, can't even come up with a concept that like water's going to fall from the, from the sky to drown the earth, all right? And you're going to stay inside this boat with your family and all these animals, and then I'm going to keep you safe in that. And so God gives Noah these very specific directions. And obviously, from how it's recorded in scripture, it seems like Noah basically said, let's do this. All right. And I don't know about you all, but I find that really odd. That would not be my first example. Because think about it. Think what Noah has now become to everybody that lives around him. Noah has lost his marbles, okay? Like, dude, what are you building? And why are you building this? Okay, and then it had to be really weird when all these animals just started making their way. Everybody's like, "What's going on with Doctor Doolittle there? Like, what what is happening here?" But Noah was just faithful. Okay, and so Noah does exactly what God says. It, from what it indicates here, he didn't deviate from it at all. He did exactly what God wanted him to do. And so, who knows what his family's thinking? As they're walking in with him, and then the Bible tells us that they're sitting, they're standing in the ark, sitting, whatever, they're, they're inside the ark, and they're just waiting. And they're waiting. And then, the, then Genesis says that God shut him in. So God closes the door to the ark. And as this flood begins that's going to last for basically a year and two months, that they're going to be in this gigantic box. I want you to imagine with me the aroma of being in this gigantic box with no ventilation. Okay? And for those of you that uh, are farmers, you know that there becomes a... Uh, you become immune to smells that people that aren't farmers are not used to. Okay, I remember one time uh, when I was dating my wife and I was trying to impress her, so I thought I'd work for her father-in-law, who was a farmer. He was a grain farmer, but, um, but he had me um, disc a field up, and there was a problem with the diesel fuel pump. And the problem with it is I didn't realize there was a problem. So as I'm pumping it and I'm getting it going, diesel fuel is coming on my jeans. And so I run to choir practice afterwards with my wife and a bunch of my friends in college uh, straight from there, thinking that I'm going to impress her because, yeah, I've been working for your dad all day, you know, out in the field and everything. And people are just like, man, you have got to leave. You smell so bad. 
all right? And I had kind of become immune to it because all day long, like, I'm filling up tractors and, you know, neighbors near around, there's manure smell that you can smell in the air, and, and I'm just starting to, like, become immune to it. But everybody that was in this enclosed-in room that's not used to it was like, you stink. This is horrible. So then you can only imagine, because um, it took me forever, and I don't think I ever got there. I worked for a hog farmer for a little while, and I never got used to the, the smell of the manure. And so, like, just imagine a year and a couple months, that's, that's what your environment is. That's what you're smelling. If you can't go there with me, I don't know what your family's like, but imagine being trapped with your family and in-laws, okay, for a year and two months, and you can't leave this box, okay? You're there, and there's, there, there's, there's no escape. There's no, like, I'm going to go for a drive. There's no, like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with my buddy and complain about everything, and at the end of the day, I'm going to say, you know what? I do have it pretty good, though, you know, compared to other people, blah, blah, blah. Like, you're just, you're stuck there, all right? But we never see from anything recorded here that there's any sort of complaining. Then think about the fact that God put, told Noah to build this ark. So he builds the ark and it takes forever. Then God tells them what's going to happen and to go in the ark. Then they're in the ark. And it is until almost like the very end of their time in the ark that God finally speaks to them. Okay? So now you're in this box and you're doing what God asked you to do, and everybody thought you were crazy, but you trusted God, and then you realize, oh, it was a good thing I trusted God, right? I think we all agree at this point. They're all pretty happy with this. But now, here's Noah, and he's put in this place where he is not really hearing from God, at least from what Scripture tells us. The first recorded um, part that we have is that God finally tells them to leave the ark, and what to do when they leave the ark. And so, when we think about the life of faith as one that embraces the opportunity to participate with God in the work of God, we see that Noah, because he walked with God before this all happened, he was ready to embrace what it was that God had for him to do, and didn't seem weirded out by it at all, just, just did it. And then we never had this like part of the scripture where Noah continually complained against God. It's not like some of the other parts of scripture, right? Where it's like, you put me on this box to die and I'm stuck with my son-in-law, my, my daughter-in-laws and I'm stuck with, you don't hear about that. You just hear that all the things that Noah practically did to see if there was dry land yet. And Noah waited. Okay? Noah waited. And then, when he could tell that the waters were subsiding, the last couple of months, he takes the, the top of it off, basically, and he can see that it's not quite dry yet, but he can see that it's going down. And instead of jumping out of the boat and just trying to find peace and quiet somewhere for himself or to start exploring or whatever else, he waits until God says, go out of the ark. Okay? So, what God has really impressed upon my heart in these, this beautiful 
yet sobering narrative of the flood is that Noah's heart was surrendered to God. And that one of the things that we take away from Noah's experience is about when you understand who it is that you walk with, you understand that whatever is happening, it's immaterial. It matters who you're going through it with. And Noah went through life walking with God up to this part of the journey before he was ever told to build an ark. While everybody else around him was in kind of all sorts of wickedness. I mean, people in America like to say, they're like, oh, I don't know what's happening to this country and it's terrible and all stuff. And yes, there's a lot of things that are blatantly done out and open that weren't before. But we're talking about a kind of depravity that we have never experienced. Horrible, horrible wickedness. And in the midst of that, Noah walked with God. And so when Noah was told to do something by God that may seem absurd, he understood because he was walking with God that he was created to worship God and that everything is about God and he knows he can trust God. So by faith, he trusts God and he builds it. And by faith, he goes into this box with no water around anywhere because by faith, he's trusting what God is asking him to do. And then by faith, he's in this box and he's waiting. I want you to think about what he's waiting through and not a pun like waiting, like waiting in the water, but waiting through, okay? Think about this. You are in this boat, and you have just gone from being the Looney, Boone, Looney Tune weirdo to looking like the most brilliant person in the world to save your family and the first animal rights activist, Okay? You have gone from, you have like completely changed the perception. But here's the thing, it doesn't matter. Because all the people that you would impress if you were doing this out of your own knowledge, for your own willingness, they're all dying. I want us to really sit in that for a while. I know Eric talked about this. But I want us to really sit in the soberness of what's happening around Noah and his family. Every creature that had the spirit of life in the, its nostrils, except for Noah and all the creatures on the ark, were killed. Think about everybody that you know in your life, and the only people that are going to survive is your family that is with you in this boat that's about a football and a half long in length. And you know around you, outside of it, everything is being destroyed. And all the relationships with people that you've had, they're all destroyed. I don't know about you all, 
that's kind of hard to think about. Sure, it makes for a good box office movie. But the reality of those relationships and realizing that when you get out of this boat, that life's going to start over with just your family. But if you are walking with God and you know God and you've experienced the goodness of God and you have a right perspective of who you are and who God is, you can trust him in those moments of silence where you have been saved but everything around you has been destroyed. You want to talk about dealing with survivor guilt? But we only read up to this point that Noah walked with God, trusted God, waited to hear from God. So we've got Noah to this point. And so when we think about when we experience this opportunity to participate with God and we jump in with him for his work, we think about God's direction. All Noah did was follow what God asked him to do. And God, I want you to hear this, this is important. God continually directed Noah. God is a relational God. God is not trying to keep things from you. God is not trying to be so mysterious that you just have to kind of work your whole life to try to figure him out. If you will walk with him and listen to him and live for him and by faith trust him, he will direct you. He will direct your path. For us today, being after the time of when Christ died on the cross, for those who trust in Jesus, we are given the Holy Spirit who resides within us, who will guide us into all truth. Not only that, but when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, he doesn't speak on his own. He speaks on behalf of what Jesus wants us to know. And so he intentionally redeemed us and restored us, but it's not just that. He wants us to know how to walk with him. He wants to give us an ark. He wants us to do something for him. But the only way that we're going to be receptive of what God has to walk in faith with him is that exactly you have to walk with him. Noah surrendered his life to walk with God. And so by faith, Noah trusted God. It is the same for you and I today. Jesus Christ died on the cross to redeem us so that we could be partakers of the divine nature, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1. God has restored us and redeemed us to be a part of the family business. 
not just so that we're escaped from eternal suffering and damnation and being apart from God from eternity. That's not, that's a part of it, but that's not the whole part. The other part for us is to be with him, to be heirs to the throne, to walk with him, to do his will. And so this ark that Noah built was in walking with faith. He was able to trust God, continue to go through this journey with God. And then he gets to the part that's hard for me. After a year of all that we've gone, we've just talked about, to have the top taken off, I'm the kind of person that the water is going down, but there's obviously places that are dry, right? I would be, I mean, I know you guys find it hard to believe that someone this large could do this. I would be the world's most unbelievable uh, gymnast and spring out of that boat and go over to a cleft on a rock or climb up in a tree or something just to be kind of like, whew, wow, all right. I, I, this has been a long time waiting. But that's because in my life, the longer I live, the more I realize how easy it is and how prone I am to wander away from listening to the Holy Spirit and walking with God and start to put my own thoughts into it and start to to say, well, I think God really wants me to do this. Or that maybe God really, um, may, this is like a good thing. It says this in the Bible. And I start to rationalize why it is that I'm doing. And I'm not walking with God. I'm not waiting until God says, this is what I want you to do. Or God may say, this is what I want you to do. And I'm kind of like, is it really? I think I need to pray about that longer. Instead of doing that, I tend to drift away from that. And it's really hard, and it's called being a human being. You will find out really quick here that Noah <laughs> has his issues, okay? Noah's not perfect. He's a human being like the rest of us. But what God kept convicting me of in my life as I read through this and seeing these things was that not only did God direct Noah but that God provided shelter for Noah. He also gave him provisions. They had all that they needed. They have all that they need for food. They, had, they were sheltered from these monsoons were coming down and this flood that flooded the whole earth. They were sheltered from it. The Bible, the, it's so beautiful how Moses wrote that, that God shut him in. It's like when I, when I read that, I picture being out here where we live and a tornado coming through. And the house that we used to live in before, we had the old school shelter where you had to open up the door and put everybody in the shelter. And then in the shelter, you had to close the door and latch it so that if a tornado came through, that you would be safe because there was no access to the shelter from the house. And that's what I picture here is there's a tornado coming and God takes Noah and his family and he huddles them up and he puts them in the shelter and he closes the door and he latches it. And as the tornado goes by, they're saved. And it's the same thing 
that Jesus does for us. We are all lost in our sin. We are born enemies of God. And the destruction that is coming and the distance that we are from God that we can never attain on our own, Jesus stands and becomes the sacrifice to appease God for the sin of mankind. And to offer a sacrifice that through him being raised to life, that there is now life in Christ, that we can be redeemed and restored and walked with him. We have been sheltered by Christ's righteousness. That's what we were found in because of Christ's sacrifice. And so as I see this, this idea of God's direction and God's shelter and God's provision, I put myself back over here in this tendency that I have when I feel like I have waited long enough. Has anybody ever, else ever felt like that? Whatever God has asked you to do that seems completely absurd to others or even maybe yourself and you obey, that you might be in a holding pattern. And in that holding pattern, you're kind of like, this is enough. But we see from Noah, as he continued to walk with God, when the top of it was removed and he could see around, nobody was climbing out. Nobody was trying to just go start on their own. Noah waited to get directions from God. And I don't know about you all, but recently um, I had to confess that there was sin in my life because I had started making a waiting pattern that I was in and something that God had asked me to do that I had felt like physically it's been long enough. And as you can almost see the top removed and I can just maybe keep on moving, God hasn't told me anything yet except I want you to wait. That I would be amongst a group of brothers in Christ and through the scripture that was being read and talked about, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said this, Luke, it's not about you. It never has been about you, and it's never going to be about you. And I had to repent because I wasn't walking in step with the Spirit. I wasn't listening to what God wanted me to do. I wasn't waiting on God. And what we see from Noah is that he walked with God, so he understood the voice of God. He was growing to appreciate more and more that he could trust the goodness of God. And by faith, he did that even when it came to this point where we're so close to the end and they've finally been rescued. It seems like everything is a no-brainer, but he still waited. And my encouragement to you all is that wherever you are, whether God is starting something new in you and asking you to do something, or whether it is that in walking with him, you feel like you've been waiting too long, like it's time for phase two, three, four, whatever it is, that if we're not walking with him, we will miss out on the opportunity 
to be working with God because it's God's work. My issue with me is I was making it about me and my work. I was forgetting that this is God's work, that I am a humble servant that has been graciously, graciously redeemed. And I've got no business to be in this family business. But praise God, Jesus came and paid the price and accepted me. And because I put my faith in the ransom that he paid for me. And so now I have the opportunity to participate in the divine nature. And I had forgotten that I need to be waiting on God and listening to the Holy Spirit because ultimately it's God's work that's being done. And however he chooses to use or not to use me, praise be to him. And so I'm not sure where you are today, but that for me was one of the things that as I read through this and I thought about all these amazing truths of the goodness of God, that how many times have I missed the opportunity to participate with God in the work of God? Because I saw here what Scripture shows so clearly that God gave Noah direction. He gave him shelter And he provided for him. And Noah and Noah's family experienced the goodness of God. And you know what's amazing? As Noah waited, it's amazing what's going to (laughs) happen in the next chapter or so with Noah after all of this. But as Noah waited, then God said, leave the ark. And be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And now all of generations, descendants that would come, would come from a man who willingly, by faith, walked with God and in trusting God, God used him so that God could continue to do that where you and I stand here today, sit here today. Right? recipients of a fallen person who willingly walked with God, who God chose to use that person, that was God's choice. But in God's work, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. But there's all of this beautiful word of God that gets to the point that we are today that's not archaic. It's all his truth, and it's all about the depths of, of who he is. And if we want to be like Noah and walk with God, we need to be in that word, asking God to show us what it is that he has for us. We need to walk with him. We need to be constantly in prayer and talking to him and with him. And when he says, I want you to do something crazy, Instead of like finding all reasons in the world why we can't do that or worrying about what other people say, say, all right, this is that opportunity. God, let's do this and walk with him. Because you see, when we walk with God, he chooses to allow us to be a part of his work. And God is good. And what God does is he continues to offer his life to others. And when we walk with God, we get to be hope bearers. 
We get to go into people with whatever prisons in their life that they're enslaved in and say, hey, I don't have the answer. But let me tell you, I know who the answer is. And I can tell you, I've tasted and I have seen the goodness of God. And God has asked me to do some crazy things. But I'm going to tell you, it's amazing. Because when you partner with God, things that the world laughs at you about and thinks is crazy put you on this ark where you are protected and sheltered and you have everything that you actually need in life. And even in times when you've been struggling so hard and it seems like you can't wait any longer, if you just continue to wait on him, he opens up a whole new world for you. Because that's what God wants for us is for us to find him to be the sufficiency of all that we need because he is the giver of life. He is the protector. He is the one that provides for everything. And so my question to you today is, what is the ark in your life? What is that ask that God has of you that you're just kind of like, mm, yeah, nope, not doing that. Can we all just be honest with each other? Like, we all have them, right? I know God asks me to do things all the time that I'm just kind of like, oh boy, people aren't going to understand this one. Okay? And that's a good thing because it takes faith to trust Him that when we can't see why it, it doesn't make any sense to us, it's trusting God because God knows exactly what's going on. And he's got a plan and he chooses to offer us that opportunity to partner with him. And so I would ask you, what is the ark in your life? What is that ask that you have resisted from joining in? What will be your response if you currently don't have an ark that God is asking you to build? What will be your response when he does ask you? Will you be willing to be like Noah and just say, okay, God, and trust him? Or will you resist him and be like Jonah and worry about yourself and how you think things should be done or what makes sense to you? And then in order to embrace that ark that God asked for you in your life and to be able to respond correctly, you have to be able to know God. And you can't know God. I want to be really clear about what I'm saying here because don't take this the wrong way. If you show up here on Sundays to listen to what Eric has to say to you, you're in for a world of hurt. And I love Eric, and he would 100% agree with me. You show up here on Sundays to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage one another and to open God's word and for God to encourage you. And whoever is here is a lost, fallen sinner who has been redeemed by the grace of Jesus Christ and proclaims the hope that is in God because it's all about God and it's always going to be about God. And we can either be like the world around Noah and reject God, or we can be like the man of Noah that was faithful, that walked with God and embraced the opportunity to walk with God.
So in order to do that, you in your own time, in your own privacy of your home, and with other people, have to be in his word. You have to digest his word. You have to be able to encourage one another, like Paul said in Romans 1.12, that I opened this up with. So that not only can you encourage people in your faith journey, but so that you can be encouraged by theirs. To realize that not only does, is God the sufficiency of all we need, but he gives us this beautiful family. I don't know most of you, but every time I walk into this door, I'm with family. Other redeemed sinners who have been saved by the mercy of Jesus Christ. And for eternity, we will worship together and we are all part of the family business of proclaiming the hope that we have in God. And so if you don't know God in the sense that you don't walk with him daily, you're not going to be able to respond correctly to the arcs that you have in your life. I have a, a friend of mine recently that passed away, and I think her life summed it up best. And she said um, at her funeral, some people read some um, sayings that she had had. She had um, died at 40. She was 42 years old when she died. She and her husband had three children, a 15, a 13-year-old boy, and a three-year-old daughter. And um, in 97, when she was 18 years old, she almost died of toxic shock syndrome. She had 50 pounds of toxic fluids that in 24 hours had flooded her, bodies, her body. And they had to slice her extremities open just to try to save her life. And they flew her to Mayo Clinic and they told her parents, your child is probably not going to be alive when she gets there. And if she does, she will never have arms and legs. And the church body came together and they prayed and prayed and prayed for God to heal her and prayed this 18-year-old girl with the world ahead of her working at a Christian summer camp. And God spared her life and Mayo Clinic called her the miracle child of 97. And she was able to keep two of her, both of her arms, one of her legs. She lost some toes. She would end up having lupus and it would end up starting to uh, attack her organs. She would go through all kinds of pain and suffering. And halfway through her 20-year journey of suffering, she wrote these words. You may ask, what if Jesus hadn't healed me? What if I died? Indeed, he sometimes chooses not to perform a miracle. We all know or have heard of someone who died in spite of fervent prayers. I do not pretend to understand why God heals some and not others. But I can tell you this. If I knew that God would allow toxic shock syndrome to strike me again this time next year and take my life this time, I would still stand before you praising him. If I knew he would stop my heart an hour from now, I would not move an inch. I would continue to praise him. He knows the path of greatest good when we are blind to it. If we allow him, he will use our trials to mold us in his image and draw us closer to him. And when asked what helps her have this frame of mind and this 
understanding of this deep walk with God, she said, my favorite verse is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Her arc was to embrace a life of suffering. To go from having the world before her at 18 years old with all she was going to do in life. But because she walked with God, God asked her for her ark to embrace a body that would suffer. But through it, she would touch the lives of hundreds of nurses, of doctors all over this country. One surgeon said, I can say without doubt that she was one of the most five influential people in my life. And I don't know how you see how she lived life and it not challenge you to think about Maybe I need to make some changes in my life from a lost doctor's mouth. You see, your ark might be simple. Your ark might be to be satisfied with the job that God has given you and for that to be enough with the current job that you have and to trust Him and make sure that at that job, you are a witness to others of God's goodness in your life. Maybe your arc is to um, do something that everyone around you thinks is crazy. I've been there, and it was my wife that thought I was crazy. I finally got done with grad school. I was finally a school social worker. Man, on a graduated salary, start paying off those student loans, and life is going to be good. And then God said, no, I, I want you to go work at a church full time. And my, my wife, who has way more faith than I do, said at the time, do you know what you're asking us to do? But I could rest and it wasn't me that was asking my wife to do that. It was God that was asking us as a family to do that. You have a beautiful family over here as a part of your family and they don't want accolades, and they don't want attention on them. But they follow God here. And now we're all gathered here this morning to do God's work by saying yes to the ark that God asked them to, to start building. Some of you are here because you saw the vision of what God had, and God tugged on your heart. This is what I want you to be a part of. And you're here, and you're serving and so you're going to be challenged uh, in the coming up time of like continue to walk with God. And don't forget what it means to, to walk with God and what God desires. As you'll see in Noah's life that Noah definitely was not perfect. And obviously he took his eye off God for a while. But whatever, wherever you're at, my encouragement to you is to remember that the faith life is embracing the opportunity to walk with God, to do God's work, and in doing so, you get to experience God's direction, His provision, His shelter, 
and his goodness in your life. And that is what the flood story has spoken to this sinner's heart about and that I needed to be reminded of. And I hope that this morning it encourages your heart and that you too will pray about where it is that you find yourself with God and look at how Noah walked with God and the results that happened because of it. Would you bow your head? And I'll pray, and then after that, we'll go into our time of communion. God, I just want to thank you for your goodness and for the chance that we had together this morning together. Lord, I am just humbled and amazed at your goodness and your patience with me. And wherever people find themselves um, refusing to build an ark, or maybe they're in the process of trusting you and they've kind of lost their way and now they're trying to figure out their own way out of it, or whether it is that they're just holding steady, Lord, wherever they're at, I just pray that you would encourage them and speak to them and that they would find you to be the sufficiency of all they need and they need to continue to journey on with you, being in good step with you, or like I had to do, Father, repent that it's not about us. It's never been about us, and it's never going to be about us. But it is about you, Jesus, for you to be glorified for now and forever. And so as we go to this time of communion, as we remember, as you remembered Noah, as you remembered Abraham and saved Lot, as you remembered the children of Israel and you remembered Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as we know that we take this cup and this bread to remember what you did for us. We also look forward to one day being with you because you will never forget us. We just ask this in Jesus' name.